in the waiting room, I'm sitting there, okay, it's been a decade since I've been here and I don't know what to expect and I've never met her before and I, I know somebody who went to her, so I think she's gonna be great and it's a female, which I know I need, but also I hate this feeling and it sucks. So that's where I'm like, time out, Jen, you're safe. You're exactly where you need to be. You are here because you're taking back your power. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical symptoms or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly, just work with one that you feel safe and comfortable with, which is what we are here to talk about today. Welcome back, Jen Robbins of Predominantly Paleo to The Whole View. Oh, thanks for being a repeat customer. (laughs) Every time I introduce you on the show, I'm like, if you're not familiar with Jen, go back to one of our many shows together. Jen and I have been close friends for a long time. You're actually a personal mentor of mine and a guru on numerous health-related topics for me. One of the few people I go to to actually ask opinions on, because as someone who thinks that I'm always right, I never want to <laughs> ask anybody for anything. And so earlier this season, you were on the show to talk about DNRS. And if you haven't listened to that show, listeners, go back. Please listen. It was such a powerful and impactful show. The dynamic neural retraining system. I have seen as a result of that with you, you be able to open up and do a whole bunch of new stuff in your life from the years that we've known each other. It's been really great to see your progress, not just like from that health journey with food, but then all of the progress that you've made since from being able to fly for the first time, which was super exciting because you live in Florida. And so now I'm like, the possibility of being able to see you more often is increased. Um, And also things like going to the dentist or going to doctor's visits after kind of years of avoiding them. So I wanted to talk about that experience and how you've been able to do that because medical trauma is something that a lot of people experience. I know we are not the only two who have experienced that. And the ways that we learn to cope with our own anxiety as a result of medical trauma or as a result of other trauma in our life that then plays itself out into those scenarios is something that I think half the population has. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I I want you to have an opportunity to talk about some of this awesome stuff that you've been doing. And I know you've been sharing in social media, but it's so helpful and impactful that I wanted to share it with listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what to expect on this show? One of many where you grace us with your wonderful. I can try. So I have a history of chronic illness, of diagnoses spanning from Lyme disease to chronic fatigue to Hashimoto's thyroid. Of course, a good smattering of mental health stuff in there, whether it was the chicken or the egg, I think it all is really one in the same a lot of the time. So much so that sometimes you can't tease apart physical symptoms as being rooted in just the physical body without also looking at what the mental health status is at that time or what other stresses are going on. I have a pretty colorful history when it comes to the two decades of trying to be my best self because as a child, I was ultimately really healthy to the point that if I did get sick, it was few and far between. And usually with something random, like Shigella, which it's like, okay, it's not like the typical stuff going around in school or whatever. So I can remember the handful of times as a kid that I was 
sick because they stood out as being pretty standalone events. But as I got to my mid twenties, things started unraveling and, and I have spent the better part of the last 20 years, really teasing apart how to heal emotionally, how to recover from the early days of diving head first, because I didn't really enter those mid-20s with a lot of medical trauma. There were some events that happened in childhood, which I know we're going to discuss, but for the most part, I was ready to like run every lab and go see the doctors and dive in and ask questions and just get to the bottom of it so that I could feel better. But during that time of visiting all of those specialists and hearing terrible things from some of them or getting bad blood work back, there definitely were traumatic episodes that ended up causing me to come to a dead stop at one point where I just, I didn't think there was anything else I could do. And I also didn't want to try anymore. I think it's interesting how regardless of what our childhoods or our backgrounds might be, that where we come to approach each situation, say that three times fast, as an adult or as a teen or whatever, it's so unique and individual for each of us. And I think that's what's really hard about integrating some of the me- like mental and physical stuff that you were talking about. And I think we've both learned so much in our journey over our 20 plus years trying to improve ourselves, both mentally and physically. And it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that after focusing so much physically on food and all of those kinds of things, that now we're both finding a lot of growth also focusing on these mental aspects. And I want to tell listeners, I have a bunch of references in the show notes of resources that we found. This is extensively scientifically supported. Obviously, mental health is different in the way that science reviews it or proves it or all those kinds of things. And at the same time, we're talking about medical things, both from the experience of how you feel after a medical procedure and or medical experience in general, and the result of that, your own internalized mental health, the psychological result of that is is also medical in nature. And it's really important for me as we continue this podcast to break down that mental health stigma, that mental health is part of our overall well-being and it's essential to our overall well-being. And you and I have both seen incredible improvements in our physical health as a result of focusing on improving our emotional health as well as the things that we do physically. And when we see something like stress, and in this case, medical trauma can be PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, those things can have physical negative effects on us if we internalize that emotional trauma negatively. So from a super simple definition, medical trauma is just emotional or physical physical responses to pain, injury, serious illness, medical procedures, and frightening treatment experiences. Again, it might not be a frightening experience for somebody else. I know a lot of people who go to the dentist and have no issues. And then I know a lot of people who are incredibly afraid of the dentist. And that doesn't mean that one person is right or wrong. One is a lived experience and it could be a result of medical trauma that someone has that fear, right? Like maybe as a kid, you heard those tools and you didn't know what what it was and you immediately thought you were in a horror film and whatever. And so having some medical professional have compassion and understanding is really important, but also understanding your own response is really important, which is what we're going to talk about. Do you just want to brief through like some of these resources that I found that talk about medical trauma as being within the DSM definition of psychological trauma? So it is classified formally for mental health professionals. And we see in studies, for example, there was a study of patients who were on dialysis who reported that it was their current illness 
as a trauma, right? Needing to undergo dialysis and the physical pain of that process of that illness was their worst trauma, even among those who had experienced combat, serious accidents, assaults, and other type of extreme events. So you might think dialysis is saving that person's life. On the other hand, their lived experience is that it's incredibly traumatic to know that like you need something to to keep you alive, or maybe it's the physical pain that bothers them or that they have to take time out of their schedule and do those things or the environment itself and seeing other people and relating yourself to them. All of that can be part of the your perceived experience of that medical trauma. And there's just a lot of factors that go into that, including your vulnerability as pre-existing mental health diagnosis. I think where it's important to take the conversation is also considering that the pre-existing mental health that we have going into vulnerable situations, be they medical or not, impacts our lived experience of that situation. And so our perceptions about the quality of care or the trust in our medical team or those kinds of different things can be completely different. I know for me, I've had a lot of different medical experiences that I could point to as being like both positive and negative. At a very young age, I lost my finger, (laughs) like the tip of my finger. And I don't remember it at all. Is my brain protecting me from a very traumatic experience? Probably. Like my parents describe that situation as being super traumatic for them. And I know, for example, Witnessing a sick parent as a child can be very traumatic. And as a parent, being helpless towards your ailing child can feel very traumatic. And all of those things impact, you know, how then we experience our future situations, right? If I was a child and I had a super traumatic experience at a hospital, then the next time I go to a hospital, I might not even be aware that the feelings that I'm having of like anxiety and fear and all these kinds of things are not just about that moment in time or my medical professional, but about all the things that happened in the past. And I've certainly seen an impact as a foster parent, for example, on how that plays out with children who have had disrupted experiences, so to speak, right? Like maybe their parents were needing mental health support, or maybe their parent had a medical condition that then put them into foster care. All of those situations are going to impact medical trauma. And I think when I When I extrapolate that to our overall population and how many people would have experiences like that, it explains why it's estimated, I think they said 60% of men and 50% of women as having had a traumatic experience. And that's really high if you're coming into a situation already with trauma and anxiety. So I'm wondering, Jen, like with all of these options for medical trauma laid out, not just the ones you've recently talked about, but I know part of what you're doing is reevaluating what that looked like your whole life and rethinking through reframing, so to speak, those experiences and trying to create new feelings for yourself in those moments. Like, do you recall any anything specifically yourself where either you were younger or as a parent with your young kids that kind of immediately jolts you as I as you, as I was talking through some of these scenarios and different things that the medical professionals explain as being identified under this umbrella of classification, so to speak? Yeah, there's a few. And another one just popped up as you were talking, which is funny because I was talking about how I didn't really have that many medical situations as a child. But one that came to mind was that when I was young, like under 10, I had kidney reflux where it would feel like I had a urinary tract infection and it wasn't because I would have the sensations. I would tell my mom, we would go to the pediatrician and I was testing negative, but I had to go get like imaging done with dye. And I remember being on a cold table in the dark because they had to see where the dye would light up the kidneys and, um, And I looked up at my mom and said, can I be done now? And so I know that 
And that was not a painful experience in terms of physical pain, but I imagine that it was scary enough not knowing what was going on and probably not having someone, my mom was there with me, but I probably didn't have someone talking me through it as a child would be able to comprehend that and being told that you're safe, that you're not in danger, things like that. And then I also remember at my pediatrician who I loved, I didn't have any ill feelings or unsafe feelings towards, but I was a very thin child always. And I was consistently underweight And at one point I was at a checkup and he said, either you gain weight on your own, or I'm going to put you in the hospital with a tube down your throat to give you the nutrients that you need to grow. And that just, that just popped back today as I was preparing for. That's super intense. Yeah, it is because it's the other end of the spectrum of fat shaming and a fat phobic culture is a lot of times thinness gets praise even in the face of not being healthy. And in that circumstance, I was not unhealthy. I was just really thin and had not filled out yet and was just a petite kid. And I was threatened as if I had an eating disorder, which I did not. And so it's just interesting, but I remember thinking like, I even would, if you had an eating disorder, that is not, right, the, that's not, that's the, not the solution or the approach the that we right. know in modern times is successful. But yeah. like at the time I was just like, but I didn't, but I'm not doing anything. Like I just eat and I'm a dancer and I um, have a propensity towards genetic thinness at that age per my parents. And so I was caught so off guard, like I, I was being spoken to as if I was doing something bad and wrong. And my punishment would be hospitalization. So it's not even just it wasn't even, I want to help you gain weight nutrition. Right. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't positioned okay. as this is a place that can help you be healthy or let's test your nutrients and make sure that you're getting enough before right. just assuming that you weren't. Yeah, I can totally see all right. that. So those two things definitely popped up as that, <laughs> that feels not good, but yeah, I uh, it, I probably tucked those away as we age. And we do, humans are resilient. We are able to recover from trauma. If we did not, if we lacked that capability, we would all be dead and gone by the time we're very young. I know that we, when we discuss trauma, we also have to give ourselves the credit that we are able to to recover. And even if the trauma always exists in the past, which it, it does, it's not something that gets erased, but it those are things that we can adapt to move forward, to face the things that cause the fear and the anxiety, usually after identifying like, oh, maybe it's stemming from this, now I need to learn what my responsibility is, like without victim blaming, but if I want control over my own life and path, how do I take these things that are not my fault and then also take back my power enough to move forward and be able to heal? And work with a doctor that doesn't use hospitalization as a form of punishment. (laughs) Yes. No, I think that's such a good point. And to one of the things that I really resonated with, that was something that stuck with me that shook me and impacts a lot of things that I think about going forward is I was reading Brene Brown's book, Alice of the Heart. Have you read that yet? I've read excerpts, but not. So I was reading the physical book and I was having both uh, like enjoying it so much, but also not getting through as quickly as I wanted because I was just like absorbing it so deeply that I also read the audiobook. And then I'd go back after listening to the audiobook and reread the pages that really resonated. And one of them was the idea of resilience. And I love that you brought it up because 
Brene talks about, especially as parents, we have a propensity to want to try to protect our children, right? Like from this medical perspective, if you think about, I had newborns with jaundice because Matt and I's blood type is incompatible. So every single biological child that I had was born with extreme jaundice and watching the medical tests that they would go through of like, heel pricking for blood over and over again and they would scream and then their heels were raw and like all these kinds of things and feeling so overwhelmed. I wanted to protect them from that, right? All of those experiences, however, when we don't protect our children, especially as they're growing into adolescence and we see them with a friend that we know is bad news and we know as if we both have teenagers, Jen's shaking her head, you can't see it, but we both, we know that things are bad news as parents and we have to, uh, my personal opinion is, unless my child is in imminent danger, I choose to let them have those experiences and learn from them. Of course, I'm there to guide them. Of course, I'm there to give them my perspective if they're asking for it. But most of the time when my kids come to me frustrated about something, they want me to listen and they want me to validate their feelings. They don't want me to tell them how to do it differently or my own personal experience. If you think back to being a teen when your mom was like, let me tell you what I know everything. I don't want to be that parent. And sometimes I am. And they point out to me and they'll be like, mom, I just want you to listen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Thank you for communicating. And that I think is, is really the idea of resilience, right? Like I have to let my child have this experience and learn from it in order to build resilience, in order to build the ability to be empowered for the next situation that comes up. Because if I step in front of them and protect them from every bad thing that happens, then when I'm not there, it feels 10 times worse because they've never had to build that muscle of of resilience, so to speak, right? Like this idea of working through it. And it's not about victim blaming at all to say, I want to no longer experience fear when I go to the dentist. What do I need to do that? It has nothing to do with whatever dentist I might've had when I was a kid who made me scared or whatever, right? That's a separate entirely conversation from, I no longer want to have this experience. What do I have in my power to control that? And listeners, if you're listening and realizing like this may be you or one of your loved ones, some of the symptoms of medical trauma that you can identify are this idea of like hypervigilance, right? Like wanting to stop or step in either for yourself or for other people, avoidance behavior, which I know Jen and I both have experienced, <laughs> anxiety, intrusive memories of previous experiences, intense emotions, emotional numbing, just feeling really, I'm not going to think about that. I'm shutting down, right? If you have these ideas or responses as it relates to any sort of medical situation, you can see how those are very similar to that you might have from other traumatic events, which makes the origin very difficult to recognize for medical health professionals. And oftentimes people have both, right? Like we have a regular trauma in our life, but then we also have something else. And so when these come up, it's important that when you're working with your medical professionals, be they mental or physical, I think it's really important to share with them. Like I shared with my dentist when I went back for the first time after many years, I haven't been to the dentist in a long time because I had this bad experience and I really need you to be kind and to not shame me about having not come and to just really like focus on the positives and tell me what I need to do. And being able to communicate that was a game changer for my dentist who has no idea what experience I've been through or what approach to take. But if you're working with the right person, I think that it really makes things change in terms of the outcome. And so that's when they, when the resources that I was looking at were talking about what to do, right? If you or someone you know has had medical trauma, one of the first things that they said is talk about what happened, which Jen and I are doing right here today. And then also using deep breathing. And you've heard me talk about this technique as being really powerful. It can help slow your heart rate and lower your blood pressure. So when you're experiencing those moments, especially of anxiety, when you're revisiting them or those kinds of things, and I know, Jen, you practice this, you talked about it with your flight, right? Like when you were on your flight, you had to recenter yourself and focus on your breathing and mantras that you were saying to yourself about safety and different kinds of things. Um, 
and that can look very different for people, but I think that is a technique that is really effective. And also understanding that it's going to take time to adjust, that if you've just had an experience, it's going to be fresh for you versus if you've had some time to process. I know for me, my medical trauma of the first childbirth that I had was extreme, and I didn't even realize that what that's what it was at the time. I think a lot of moms actually... I think a lot of people who give birth probably have a trauma related to that in some sort of way because we're out of control. Like we can't control what's happening in our body or what our medical professionals decide to do. And if we haven't chosen one that we trust, it can often end negatively. But the further I got from that and the more like support that I got from that and having additional children that then I was more empowered with those labors, it completely changes how I think about that first birth now. I instead choose to focus on the positive instead of ruminating on those negative experiences. So how was I able to do that? By seeking help. And I think this is where, John, I'm really looking forward to you sharing more about your personal experiences because mental health resources, there's so many apps these days. Like I said, therapeutic services. I go to support groups, both like as when my kids were younger, I went to the J League. I went to a VBAC support group when I was trying to have a VBAC with my second son. And you've done DNRS and some other things as well. And so... I think the idea of seeking help, maybe people think it looks like one certain thing, but there's a broad spectrum of options for us to process what we might be feeling. Yeah. And also, I think when we are younger and we experience those things, we don't necessarily, if it's a pediatrician that our parents are taking us to, or a childhood dentist that our parents are taking us to, there's no choice in that. It just feels like this is the path that's chosen. This is who you go to for a doctor. So there's not a lot of, if you're fortunate and you have a parent who advocates for you, then, and you tell them I had a scary experience, but a lot of times I feel like at least in our age group, speaking to fear was not something that was encouraged. You speaking to feeling unsafe was not encouraged. It was more speaking about, about feelings was not encouraged. <laughs> right. So it was there was a lot of there was a lot of value placed on being brave. And so I think that there were probably a lot of experiences that we said nothing even to the person who could advocate for us because it was expected that we needed to be strong and stoic as seven-year-olds and get through this experience. So now as an adult, I took this hiatus where I was just done digging and being poked and prodded and also being mistreated by practitioners who would say really abusive things and take my words as though they were lies or as though I was making things up for attention. And sometimes Honestly, the things that would come out of my mouth trying to describe symptoms sounded outlandish because my entire nervous system was so overstimulated that the thing I'd say, my brain feels like it's swelling inside of my head, but it's not painful. It just feels like it's a swollen marshmallow of mothballs. And they're like, it's like when you're trying to describe the indescribable, it comes with being met with people who don't believe or don't understand. And if they don't understand, they may lack compassion. If they lack compassion, then they're not going to meet you where you need to be met to come up with solutions. So I took this break, but and I was able to make very great strides with neural retraining, with remapping my brain. But that doesn't mean that the physical body doesn't continue to experience medical needs. I love that I understand the power of my brain now and I can harness it for good and I can use it for healing. That said, and I don't want to say there are limitations to that, but if I have a fibroid, which I do, which causes extreme bleeding every month, which it does. And that in turn causes iron deficiency and or iron deficiency anemia, which it has. I am probably not going to meditate my way out of that. 
And yes, there are hormonal components and these different things. And I have supplemented my way to the moon with the Vitex and the ultimately at this point, what I needed was good medical care from a practitioner who I can trust, who also will not shame me, who also will not make me feel bad that I've let it go for a certain amount of years. And I need to come up with a plan with that practitioner to feel better. So this is where you do the brain work so that when you have the physical thing that needs more than the supplement aisle at Whole Foods or the yoga mat or whatever it is that you use to cope with those traumas, now I can face it better. And I can advocate because now I know as an adult what I need. So I researched, I found a boutique OBGYN. I go in, I tell her, here's the deal. I describe my symptoms. We put together a plan without me taking off my clothes, right? Like we're sitting in an office with a cute little sofa and some artwork and we're just having a conversation. That's a lot less scary feeling than, okay, I'm going to need you to strip everything off the bottom and get on the table, put your feet in the stirrups. And the fact that we're talking about next steps and what we need to do to even get to the point where we know what the source is, what the answers might be, what the game plan is, that's what people need. I feel safe, but I'll back up and say in the waiting room, I'm sitting there, okay, it's been a decade since I've been here and I don't know what to expect and I've never met her before and I I know somebody who went to her, so I think she's going to be great and it's a female, which I know I need, but also I hate this feeling and it sucks. So that's where I'm like, time out, Jen, you're safe. You're exactly where you need to be. You are here because you're taking back your power. You are here because you don't want to have terrible monthly periods. You are here because you're in your mid-40s and things are changing and you want to be able to enter that next phase with as many answers as possible and a plan if you start hormone treatment or whatever. And as soon as I was like, oh, wait, I'm here because I'm doing something good for me. I'm safe here. I'm looking around. There's nothing threatening other than my own prior trauma and my own anxiety. And if you like take that in and realize I made an educated choice to be here and I'm here because I'm doing so I'm giving myself this gift and I'm going to get better and feel better and have more energy and not be dizzy and not have headaches that last for two weeks because I'm going to the root of what's causing all of this to begin with. And that's where it feels empowering. And that's where that prior trauma serves the purpose to move forward and know what you do need to do now that you weren't able to do then. And it feels good. And the reminder that I'm safe and this is good. And this is actually exactly what I need to be doing to feel my best versus I'm in danger. She's going to make me strip down. I'm going to, they're going to find something bad. And it's just, it's those things that I feel like, especially women put off because of something in the past when really it is a gift to us to do them. This podcast is sponsored by Everlywell, allowing you to put your health first in your own home. For the holidays this year, you can give the gift of health for yourself or those you care about most. Everlywell now has over 30 at-home lab tests, as well as high-quality vitamins and supplements that you can get for 20% off. And y'all, I have been taking the vitamin D gummies and they are by far the best gummy supplements I have ever tasted. I also love that it's a way to add this into our whole family's routine in these winter months since none of us are huge fans of taking a ton of pills. 
And like we talked about in episode 354, specifically around vitamin D, testing to know your levels is very important. I love that Everlywell allows you to do it all in one place with them. They now have so many test options from celiac, thyroid, and food sensitivity testing to general women and men's health screening. Simply order the products to ship straight to you or your loved one, and everything needed will come in one package. Given that we're talking about medical trauma, I know I'm not alone in wanting to avoid as many office and lab visits as I can while still being empowered with the information for my own health. And Everlywell is a great way to do that. If you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample can simply be collected at home and shipped back to a certified lab in the prepaid envelope included with the test. Digital physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your preferred device in just days. Over 1 million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals, and I have used Everlywell for years. And I actually used the code that Everlywell shared with you to gift an allergy test for a loved one, and I know several people in my life who struggle with identifying those issues, and this will help them save time and money. So whether you're practicing radical self-love, taking care of yourself, or gifting this simple at-home testing service, the gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home test at everlywell.com slash wholeview. That's everlywell.com slash wholeview for 20% off your next at-home lab test everlywell.com slash whole view. I love everything you just said. Like I just, I can't emphasize enough. I hope listeners go back and listen to how you chose to talk to yourself in that waiting room when those thoughts of worry and anxiety kick in and then choosing to talk to yourself about safety and your purpose and what the outcome will be and that you're in control and it's your choice. Like all of those things are so powerful and apply to so many different things in our life, right? Like I've talked before in this show years and years ago about how I can eat gluten. I choose not to because I don't like the way that it makes me feel. And that mindset is like an entirely different thing than if you're just constantly telling yourself, can't or whatever it is from that negative perspective and to come full circle and see how that those word choices and how we talk to ourselves are so impactful. And I think too, it really resonated with me having gone through so much training and certification with traumatized youth and knowing that a lot of the therapies that they use are really aligned with what you're talking about, whether we're talking about CBT or DNRS or all of these different abbreviations that maybe listeners, you have no idea what we're talking about and that's okay, but cognitive behavioral therapy and neural remapping, like all of these kinds of things all exist within this idea that you can take back the power within your brain, as Jen said, and that you can't change the past and you only have limited control over the future, but you do have control over how you react to those things. And, you know, the outcome might've been the same for you, Jen, if you went to a normal OBGYN where the first time you met them, you were naked and uncomfortable and afraid. And he said, do you need to have ablation? And it might have been entirely same suggestion that you came to with someone in a safe environment who listened to you, who talked about symptoms and then said, okay, it sounds like this is where we might need to go. These are the things that we're going to need to do to see. Let's try this and this. And then either way, you might end up with the same medical procedure, but how you feel about the result will be entirely different. And that's what I hope listeners take away is that medical professionals and the services that they provide are a customer service. You are a paying customer. And if you're getting medical bias because you're in a larger body or you're in a smaller body, or you have a chronic illness that someone is assuming isn't 
real or someone isn't taking your symptoms as true symptoms. Like whatever these things are, they are not okay. And you have permission from us to find a medical professional who will listen to you. And maybe ultimately the answer with a trusted person is we really need to work on mental health and therapy before we can get to the root of the physical symptoms. But that can't be something that you're ever going to uncover and unearth and improve upon your own physical well-being if you're not hearing it from someone that you trust and who is supporting your journey. And I know, Jen, it's been an ongoing process for you. We talked about flying. You had a similar experience when you were in the plane and how you talked to yourself. But how have you been able to expand over time these things that you've been able to tolerate, so to speak. Like you you talked about your experience with fibroids, but you've gone even to do elective procedures with yeah. medical professionals, yeah. right? And that is not something that you would have been comfortable doing no, years ago. No. And I think even just five years ago, I was debilitated with physical and emotional symptoms that paralyzed me. Truly, like I could barely go for the really mandatory medical things that I knew I needed to do. Like when I found a lump in my breast and I was like, I really have to, I have to go check this out. Like I can't just be like, it was so hard, even with a thing that could have been a not good thing for me to go take care of. And I didn't know physically how I was even going to get through that. And I remember friends talking about like laser treatments they had done on their face. And I was like, I want to do laser treatments on my, and I just thought, I guess I just never will be able to. Like I was just in that place where everything was so debilitating that I couldn't imagine it. And then I started doing the neural retraining combined with the Zoloft for some physical symptoms. And I eased into those elective things because I knew that they were things that I really wanted. So there's the part that is, I need to take care of this because it is a gift to myself. And then there's the part that, you know, oh, I can't do ZMN because I have autoimmune disease and it's going to be harmful. So you can start like framing the world around you as everything being a threat, right? Gluten is a threat. I can't do that. ZMN is a threat. I can't do that. I can't get filler because I could have a reaction and I, I can't risk it with my health to a place where I was like, I'm doing okay. Maybe nothing bad is going to happen. Maybe something will, but at this point, I feel strong enough to take a chance and put myself out there enough to do these things that like really excite me and make me potentially bring me joy or satisfaction of some kind. I got there and I finally was just like, I want to do this for me because I deserve it and I love myself and I work hard and I try to be a good mom and I'm depriving myself of these things that could bring me joy or medical relief because I stayed stuck in a place of fear instead of advocating, looking for people who would be practitioners who would be a good fit for me and like just bringing myself back to a place of self-love where, hey, you deserve all these things. You can have all of these things. You can do all of these things. We just need to get like the right mindset going into it and an action plan where you communicate, like you said, here are my needs, here are my fears, even something silly, like I got lip filler for the first time a year ago. And I was like, okay, so I have to tell you because I have all of these things in my, my medical history and blah, blah, blah. And I had the best conversation with the NP who was injector who said, okay, then let's start with this basic product that doesn't have all of this like revamped technology. And it's basically the closest to your own hyaluronic acid you can get. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That feels like it's, it feel, it, I can do this. And so just being empowered enough to say, I know my body, here's what I need. Please help me get to that place where I trust you and you can meet me there. And it's, 
very liberating to finally <laughs> get to that place because there were a lot of years that it just wasn't happening. I think the key things that came to my mind when you we were talking about that are this idea of empowerment, right? Like you were empowered with your own trust in yourself and your body's ability to be resilient. And those things, being empowered and knowing that you are a resilient being, that you can handle something, only come after healing. And, you know, that that process of healing, it, it reminds me a lot of the idea of therapeutic diets, right? The idea of a therapeutic diet is one that it is supposed to help you heal so that then on the other side, you can reintroduce foods and you can be living without fear and going to restaurants and living life without all of that anxiety. We want that in every aspect of our life, right? There might be times where we need to heal and then we want to reintroduce back to a place where we are empowered. We have trust in ourselves. We have knowledge and faith in our own resilience. And that brings a level of comfort and confidence that we can't have if we haven't gone through those experiences. Like the strength that it brings us becomes that much more powerful when we have overcome. And we know that even if we have to face something negative again, that we can overcome, that it might take time and it's going to take work and that we will be more resilient on the other side of that. And I think I know, for example, that there are people who think, oh, when I'm healed, I won't be scared anymore. Or when I've overcome whatever, that won't be anything I think about or worry about or have anxiety about anymore. And I think it's just the opposite. I think that it's Knowing that when you're sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office and you have those feelings of anxiety or fear or your loved one gets sick and you have to go to the hospital, but you have a fear of hospitals. And I know people who are like, I don't want to visit so-and-so in whatever care center because it's triggering for me. It's, it's being able to have that reframe with yourself and saying, I want to do this because X. I am able to do this because why? I am choosing to do this because Z. Being able to have those conversations with yourself so that, yes, you might still be scared. And you know that fear is something that your brain is tricking you with. I've used the analogy before, but we really love the Disney movie with the character Bruno, not the one that Lin-Man Mirandez did, but the Italian brothers and I can never remember the name. Did you watch that with your kids? Do you know the name, the movie that I'm talking about? I didn't pay attention, but yes. Okay. <laughs> no help is what I'm saying. Okay, great. In that movie that neither one of us as we have seven children between us and somehow we don't know the name of a Disney movie. <laughs> but <laughs> there is a character who has fear in his brain and he talks to the fear and he names it and he's named it. He tells it Bruno and he's like, be quiet. I can do this. He's looking at biking down a big hill. And yeah. he's like telling himself, you can't do this for all these reasons. And he says, you be quiet, essentially, a nicer Disney version of that. I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And he does. And it's amazing. And blah, blah, blah. Spoiler alert. And I have seen this in my own life. And we've started applying it at home with the kids. And when someone starts having, oh, I can't do whatever, or mm -hmm. they start this mindset. First of all, Jen and I talked about part of the process with healing is humor. We're both very sardonic. We use humor in a way to alleviate tension and stress. And when we start feeling like that tension of like, anxiety and whatever, one of the easiest ways for me to break that is to say, tell Bruno, I, I say something vulgar so that it breaks the tension because I have teenagers. But I say, tell Bruno to be quiet. And they laugh because their mom is just cursed and told them to keep the bad voice in their brain at bay. But it's like one of those moments of the reframing, of the remapping, right? Of being able to recognize, oh, I'm letting my anxiety lead my emotions versus me telling my anxiety, they don't need to lead right now. I am safe. I have whatever. Because those responses that your brain brings up 
they're attempting to protect you. They're, they know that you've been hurt before and it's trying to tell you, don't do this again because you could get hurt. And it's trying to protect you. And so you have to tell your brain, I don't need you to protect me right now because I'm already safe and it's okay. And then you tamp down that part of your brain that's trying to, your, you don't want your amygdala to take over. You want the more complex emotions and navigations in your brain, the frontal cortex, to, to be in control. And you are the only one that has the ability to do that, right? There's no medication you can take to do that. There's no medical provider that can magically provide a service for you to do that. Like The only way to take back that power is to be in control. And, do and there's, no, there's nobody else who can say those same words to you that will help shift it. I'll saying you're okay, you're safe is not the same voice as your own voice to your inner child, to your amygdala. Yeah. And years ago, I came across the quote, the biggest source of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I repeat that in my mind. And that's like my stop reset quote yeah. to help me redirect. Because if I'm sitting there and I feel my heart start to race and I'm starting to get dizzy and feeling, okay, I don't want to be here. I hate this. It's terrible. And I'm like, wait, you're just telling yourself a lie that you're not safe and that something bad is going to happen. And neither of those things is true. So stop handing your power over to them. Like yeah. those don't exist. That is just the anxiety and the fear trying to, the lie that you're telling yourself, trying to overrun everything that you're doing. That's good for yourself. Yeah. I think it's a great point that no one can say it to you and to have that power. It really is something, you know, you have to come to. And if you have a loved one in your life, especially if you have children in your life that experience anxiety, we can be supports for them and we can ask probing questions to be that quote that maybe they can't catch and say themselves to trigger them into having that conversation with themselves. And one of the things that I often ask is, do you feel safe right now? Is there something you need right now? And usually those questions can start a conversation of if they don't feel safe, why don't they feel safe and how can we support them? And if they have a need that's not being met, certainly we want to meet that need. Or if the answer is, I recognize I am safe, it's just my brain. Okay, let's, that's valid also. Let's talk through that. What can we do? Because I do think that, no, I can't just tell someone. <laughs> Try as we might, as that doctor tried to tell you when you were a child, you're safe, you're fine. If you don't get it together, I'm going to whatever. We can't do that. It doesn't work. And so we have to kind of help each other in recognizing those emotions. And I think that's one of the things when I talk about fostering has made me a better parent to all of my children. This is an example because that is certainly not how I, how I parented before. I would have not had the patience or the understanding to be able to say to Cole, when he was about to go into a job interview for the very first time and was refusing to get out of the car, but he wasn't refusing. He was shutting down and he was like not responsive to me. And mm -hmm. previously as a parent, I would have been like yelling at him. What are you doing? Why aren't you answering me? Get in there. Like, Come on. Let's you're go. You're being rude. We're late, blah, blah, blah. And instead I was able to recognize that he was having extreme anxiety and I was able to say, hey, I see you shutting down. Let's talk about what are you worried about? And ultimately we all have a fear of interviews and I couldn't remember my first one, probably because my brain has shut it down from being <laughs> so scared the first time and being able to have that conversation and come up with a solution that worked for him. And then he went on to interview with multiple places and got a job that he really is excited about because I didn't just force him and push him and then he had to either push through or we had to have a fight or whatever it was, right? We can be supports for one another. And I think living in a world where people have been trained to be brave, to push through, to be quiet, to be whatever, and knowing now how very compiling traumatic that can be for people and then like living on the other side knowing how much help more helpful it would be to most of these people who are essentially being bullied into a lot of the things they don't want to do and don't have control over like how much better the world would be if we were all just like kind and compassionate and supportive and acknowledging feelings hey i see you're having a problem right now let's take a moment to acknowledge that if a doctor came up to you and you were having a fast heartbeat and all this kind of stuff in the waiting room and took a minute to say to you like hey let's just 
take a minute. What are you worried about? Let's talk through this, blah, blah, blah. Versus being like, we're running behind. I just need you to get in the blood pressure cuff. And then you get in the blood pressure cuff. And of course, it's going to be like giving you bad results because your heart rate's going crazy. And then you get even more freaked out because now you have bad blood pressure, <laughs> right? Like it's just these situations compound so quickly. Okay. I think we've, we've beat that horse, so to speak. But I do like to leave listeners with some positive, actionable suggestions that they can take to be of service and work on themselves. So when they turn off this podcast, if they could do one, two, three things to help improve themselves in the way of all the things that we've talked about today, what would be some of your ideas? I would say, what if we redefine self-care to include doing things beyond the things that bring peace or joy in the moment and expand them to the things that don't look like enjoyable experiences necessarily, but are the things that actually bring care to ourselves. Because yes, I'm all for the spa day or the lunch with a friend or the take a day off and watch Netflix. But I feel like the things that feel the most empowering for me in the past year are actually the times that I took back things that I needed to do that weren't necessarily things I wanted to do so that I could feel even better. Because that truly is caring for the self, is doing those things that are preventative or medical maintenance or doing blood work that you've put off because it doesn't feel that important because you're getting by just fine. What if we include all of those things in self-care and make sure that we're actually taking care of the self? I incorporated this mindset for each of my birthdays. I go and get like a full physical and blood work, my mammogram, my pap, like all the stuff, I mean, dermatologist visit, dental visit, I schedule it all around my birthday and I've incorporated it as the same mindset that you have. It's a gift to myself to be preventative, to be taking care of myself and also to making sure that next year I also have a birthday, right? Yeah. This is the mindset that I put in place because I don't want to do those things. <laughs> I really no, don't want to do right. those things. Yeah. They don't know? feel enjoyable. They don't feel celebratory. Yeah. But they are the things that we can show ourselves. Like I am capable of resilience yeah. beyond my medical trauma. And I can prove that to myself by making sure that I get the care that I need that's beyond the things that like look fun on the calendar. Those are great. I'm not negating the value of any of those, but I feel so good that I could go and get testosterone, that I could go and get dental work that was a decade long overdue, that I can now take care of my iron and my fibroid. That feels so emotionally fulfilling that I am at a place where I can do that for me and not let my past medical trauma be the barrier between me and optimal health. Okay. Listeners, we'll be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is also the best place to ask questions too. And if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show, but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever podcast app you're using so that others can find us too. And if you'd like to keep in touch, Jen can be found at predominantlypaleo.com or at estherandloretta.com. And we're going to put both links in the show notes for you. And on those websites, you can find all of Jen's social so that you can follow her everywhere at predominantly underscore paleo on Instagram, as well as Esther and Loretta have their own Instagram handle. You and Simone were on the show last year and Esther and Loretta. Loretta made a little pop in and also legit bread company, which if you have not tried Jen's mixes, they are 
legit and that is not just a pun it's also why you named the brand legit <laughs> bread company we use your mixes all the time and it, i know that you know this but anytime we run out of especially like the pancake or the waffle mix the kids get indignant with me <laughs> like where's the pancake mix like it's just an infinite supply that just replenishes itself all the time here right. now um, you really failed us <laughs> really yes and this time of year you've got cookie mixes and pie mixes and all kinds of stuff to make life easier. I always use the everything dough to make monkey bread. I used to make it from scratch. It was a whole thing. And now it's just so easy and amazing because of your mixes. So yeah, listeners definitely check those out. Um, and we'll of course put all the links in the show notes, but did I miss anything there, Jen? I think you got it. Okay. Listeners, we have put a list of resources in the show notes for you. Like I mentioned, there's some articles and studies. If you want to look at any of the references at realeverything.com. Thank you for tuning in today. And we appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. I know sometimes change can be hard. We're here with you. You're not alone. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.